Calvary Chapel Reading, welcome to the Bible teaching ministry of our senior pastor, Jim Jarrett. Here's Pastor Jim with today's study, designed to help us grow in the Word. Your Bibles turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're just getting started in the book of Ephesians. Uh, actually began last week with just a uh, some introductory remarks and looking at the first two verses. So this morning, uh, I'll be reading verses 3 through 6, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, and though we will be limiting our remarks this morning to verse 3. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, if you'll follow along now as I read God's inerrant and infallible word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us, and the beloved. May the Lord bless this reading of his word and our time together in it. You may be seated. As I said last Sunday, my prayer is that God would work mightily in each one of our hearts and lives and in our church for his glory as we look together at the book of Ephesians and all of these just deep, rich, profound truths which are contained in this short letter. Last Sunday, we began our study, as I, as I mentioned a moment ago, with some introductory remarks, and then we looked at verses 1 and 2, where Paul begins the letter the same way ancient letters usually begin, with three details, the, spenders, uh, the sender's name, the recipients, and a greeting. In verse 1, we learned the author of this letter is Paul, who was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And he addressed his letter to the saints who are faithful, that is, those who are believers in Ephesus, and most importantly, who were in Christ Jesus. They are saints because they belong to God. They are believers because they have trusted in Christ. And they are in two places. They are in Ephesus, and they are also in Christ Jesus. They uh, are simultaneously citizens of two kingdoms. They live at the same time in Christ and in Ephesus. And then in verse 2, Paul gives a greeting in the form of a blessing, and he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul pronounces this blessing of grace and peace on his readers from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that God the Father, that the sovereign God of the universe intimately, tenderly identifies with us as his children. That is, as I said last week, the most extraordinary privilege imaginable. 
And it's one that I think we, we fail to even think about, much less understand the implications of. And now following his brief salutation, Paul begins the actual letter to the Ephesians with a hymn of praise and, and thanksgiving to God for who he is and, and what he has done. And it is just absolutely one of the most instructive, inspiring, and encouraging passages in all of Scripture. All of Scripture. And as Paul is, is thinking of the glorious truth that God and his love and grace planned a people who would stand before him and who would receive blessing upon blessing from him, and, and that all of this happened in Christ. As, as these thoughts began to come into Paul's mind, he just couldn't control himself, and he bursts out in praise and worship. And as he does so, his enthusiasm just pours out in, 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 in one long sentence of praise to God, from verse 3 all the way to verse 14. And we don't see it, of course, in our English text, Texts which uh, break these words up into five sentences, and they do so, and, it, and they do it for ease of reading. But in the original languages, uh, verses three through fourteen are one continuous sentence containing two hundred and two words. I mean, Paul just begins with this note of praise to God for every spiritual blessing, and, and he doesn't stop. He, he just keeps going and adding phrase upon phrase and doctrine upon doctrine as he, as he lists these blessings, and it seems that he's just, he's just going without even taking a breath. I mean, this is an amazing section of Paul's letter. Absolutely amazing. One writer calls it a swirl of words with a storm of thought behind them. One commentator calls this a magnificent gateway to the epistle. Another calls it a golden chain of many links. Another calls it a kaleidoscope of dazzling lights and shifting colors. John Stott, who lists these and other descriptions of Paul's great paragraph of praise, summarizes it this way. He said it's a gateway, a golden chain, a kaleidoscope, a snowball, a racehorse, an operatic overture, and the flight of an eagle. All these metaphors in their different ways describe the impression of color, movement, and grandeur which the sentence makes on the reader's mind. I mean, this paragraph is a heartfelt, this sentence is a, a heartfelt expression of praise to God for his extraordinary plan of salvation, which Paul sees as a manifestation of his great glory and grace. And in verses 3 to 14, we have some of the most incredible truths in all of Scripture, so that many think that there is no section of Scripture with greater concentration of truths than those that are written here. And in verse 3, we have Paul's exclamation of praise, which really functions as a summary of the entire passage. And then beginning in verse 4 through verse 13, Paul explains the reasons why God is so worthy of praise. God is to be praised because He has blessed us. And Paul spells out how He has blessed us. When He chose us in verses 4 to 6, he redeems us, verses 7 to 10. He gives us an inheritance, verses 11 to 12. He seals us with his spirit, verses 13 to 14. And that's not all. No, we'll discover even more blessings as we work our way through this passage. 
And loved ones, there are few things more important for us as believers to know than the rich blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. I mean, we need to know, as Paul says, what is the hope to which he has called you. And Paul doesn't want us to simply know these things intellectually. No, he wants this knowledge to inspire us to a life of adoration and praise and worship to God. Before we move on to verse 3, there's just one thing I want us to note, and that is the work of the Trinity in this passage. We have been chosen and adopted by God the Father in verses 4 to 6. We've been redeemed by the Son, verses 7 to 12, and we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, again in verses 13 to 14. And so when Paul thinks about salvation, he emphasizes the Trinity working working together. God the Father ordaining, God the Son achieving, and God the Spirit applying. So it's important to take note of that. I mean, this passage is just oozing with the the work of the Trinity. So let's look now at verse 3 and Paul's exclamation of praise. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The heavenly places. Well, the word blessed is the word from which we get our English word eulogy. And it means to speak well of. It means to to praise or to commend or to celebrate with praise. The particular form of the word Paul uses at the very beginning of this verse is only ever used in the New Testament to refer to God, who is praised as Creator, as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as the one who is uh, the Christ, who is God over all. And so Paul begins by declaring that God is to be blessed. God is to be praised. And it's important for us to know that Paul uses the word blessed in in two senses in this verse. Because we cannot bless God in the same way that he blesses us. When God blesses believers in grace, he freely bestows on us what we do not deserve. I mean, all all of the blessings of the gospel. But when we bless God, it's an act of praise and, and adoration that he richly deserves. It's, it's not an act of grace on our part to give praise or blessing to God. And so our blessing God means to speak well of him or to praise him for his glorious attributes and for his gracious actions toward us in Christ. So we thank him for all that he is to us and for all that he has done for us and, and all that he promises to do for us throughout eternity. We bless God, according to Hebrews, by offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge or give thanks to His name. We bless God when we do not neglect to do good and share what we have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Hebrews 13. We bless Him by joyfully giving back to Him what He has first given to us, namely our time, our talent, and our treasure. We bless God when our hearts overflow with joy in Him because of His abundant grace toward us in Christ. One commentator, Alexander McLaren, put it eloquently. He said, God blesses us by gifts. We bless Him by words. 
The aim of his act of blessing is to evoke in our hearts the love that praises. We receive first, and then moved by his mercies, we give. Our highest response to his most precious gift is that we shall take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord, and in the depth of thankful and recipient hearts shall say, Blessed be God who hath blessed us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person to whom this Praise is to be given is the one who in the Old Testament was praised as the God of Israel, God Most High, and Lord, and who is now known to Paul as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is our Father as well. And as I've already mentioned, and I'll say it again, because we need to be reminded of this again and again, the fact that God the Father is our Father, should be seen by us as the most extraordinary privilege imaginable. I mean, think of it. Think of it. The God who who was and is and is to come. The God who spoke the universe and all that exists into being. The God who hung the planets in space. The, The God who sustains it all by the word of his power. The God who created man from the dust of the earth and and breathed life into him. Breathed into him the breath of life. The the thrice holy God who rules and reigns over all that is. The God above, above whom there is no other. The God whose glory fills the universe. The God who dwells in unapproachable light in whom is no darkness at all. The God who is holy, righteous, and just. Loving, merciful, gracious, and kind. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This God is also our Father. I mean, can you fathom that? What an incredible blessing and privilege. I mean, looking back at the verse, God is described not only as Father, but also as the one who has blessed believers. And this is the basis or the grounds for our blessing God. God is to be praised because he is the one who blesses. Look back at the verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He has blessed us. Well, who is the us? Because in almost every verse of the paragraph, Paul speaks of us or we. So who is it? Well, clearly Paul includes himself and his readers, but it's also clear that he has all of God's people in mind. The us God has blessed refers to all believers, the saints who are in Christ Jesus. Paul addressed in verse 1. In his amazing grace and, and sovereign plan, God has chosen to bless us. That is, all who have come to know God's abundant grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God has eternally ordained, as Paul said in Galatians 3.9, that those who are of faith are blessed. And you'll notice the verse says, He has blessed us where? He has blessed us in what? In Christ. He has blessed us in Christ. In Christ is the most important phrase of this passage and, and for the letter as a whole. The expression in Christ and its equivalent in Him 
or through Jesus Christ or in the beloved occur occurs over and, and, and over and over again in these verses. It's, it's Paul's description of a Christian, which is a word that he himself never uses. In Christ means the blessings Paul speaks of here are reserved specifically for those who believe in Christ and are united to him through faith. These blessings can only be given to us through Christ. It is in Christ that God blesses us, not apart from him. Lloyd-Jones put it well when he said, if you leave out the in Christ, you will never have any blessings at all. Every blessing we enjoy as Christian people comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. The ungodly may enjoy much good in this world and their blessings come to them in a general way through what is known as God's common grace. But they know nothing of the blessings mentioned in this verse. Paul is writing here to Christian people. And his concern is that they should understand and grasp the special blessings and privileges possible to them as Christians. And so he emphasizes that all those blessings come in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and in and through him alone. You cannot be a Christian without being in Christ. Christ is the beginning as well as the end. He is the Alpha as well as the Omega. There are no blessings for Christians apart from Him. And that's right. And so it is in Christ that God blesses us, not apart from Him. You must be in Christ to receive these blessings. And there's more. Paul says God has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Please notice that he says every spiritual blessing. Not with every physical or material blessing on earth. I mean, under the the old covenant... God's promised blessings were largely material, such as those promised to an obedient Israel. God told Israel if they were obedient to his commands, that that their, their, their wives would have fruitful wombs, their crops would flourish, they would have abundant flocks, there would be bread in every basket, there would be prosperity and, and world influence. Under the new covenant... I mean, God has promised to meet our our most basic physical needs. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us not to be anxious for anything because our Heavenly Father knows our every need. And as Spurgeon said, He that gives us heaven will surely give us all that is needful on the road thither, and we shall have enough spending money on the road to glory, for he who is guaranteed to bring us there will not starve us along the way. So God does promise to meet all of our needs. But in addition to this, the the overwhelming promises of the new covenant are spiritual. And what causes Paul to break out in praise to God is the spiritual blessings. The blessings pertaining to life in the Spirit that belong to every single Christian. And by spiritual blessings, Paul probably had in mind blessings that are spiritual in nature, but these are also blessings that come through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. 
The phrase spiritual blessings is a summary of of everything Christians receive through God's work in his son. And Paul lists some of them for us in verses verses 4 through 14. Blessings that include things such as election, adoption, redemption, forgiveness, and the sealing of the Spirit. Whatever our spiritual lives require, God abundantly provides because he has given us every possible benefit in Christ. And so Paul praises God for every spiritual blessing. And every spiritual blessing is for every single believer. I mean, there's, there's no difference when it comes to these spiritual blessings. All of them are for all of us who are in Christ. But this is not true when it comes to material blessings. God makes some people rich and others poor. Some live in comfort, others live in pain. But every single believer may bless God for all of the spiritual blessings with which he has blessed all who are in Jesus Christ. And so you may be poor. You may be neglected, marginalized. You may be mistreated, abused, hated, and reviled. But God's word stands true. The house of the righteous contains great treasure. Why? Because God has blessed his people with every spiritual blessing. And they are all available to us. Not in the future, but rather they are the believer's present possession. He says God has blessed us. The past tense. He has blessed us already with every spiritual blessing so that we are complete in Him, according to Colossians 2.10. And of course, we still have to grow and, and claim more and more of these blessings, you know, draw on them more and more. But they're ours now. And so our resources in God are not simply promised. No, they're possessed. I mean, the moment a man is in Christ, He possesses all of these spiritual blessings. As one man writes, to be in Christ, which is the portion of all who are saved, is to partake of all that Christ has done, all that he is, and all that he will ever be. That's amazing. It's astounding. I mean, God cannot give us more than he has already given us in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, there's nothing more to receive. And so, as believers, our need, therefore, is, is not to receive something in addition to what we've already been given, but rather to draw upon what God has already given us. All of the spiritual blessings, all of the spiritual riches of His grace that are ours in Christ Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing. I mean, think of it. Every spiritual blessing. All things that pertain to life and godliness have been given to us. They are all ours immediately in Christ. Loved ones, do you know what this means? I mean, these are the blessings that strengthen and sustain us in the trials of this life. I mean, these are the blessings that keep our hearts from a sinful love of the world. So why then would you look for God's blessings anywhere else than in Christ? Let me ask you something. 
Do you know anything of these blessings? Do you know anything of these blessings? Do you know anything of what we're speaking of this morning? I I certainly hope and pray that you do. Because that would mean that you are in Christ. Notice what else Paul says about these blessings. Look back at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has blessed us, Paul says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Literally, it is in the heavenlies. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And Paul uses this phrase five times in Ephesians. Twice in chapter 1, once in chapter 2, once in chapter 3, and once in chapter 6. But he doesn't define what he means by in the, in the heavenlies or in the heavenly places. But if we look at how he uses it here in Ephesians, we can piece together what it means. In chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places. Chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 10, He speaks about rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In chapter 6, verse 12, he says that our present struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil, guess where? In the heavenly places. And so these verses indicate to us that Paul has in mind the spiritual realm. The spiritual dimension or the unseen world of spiritual reality that that we do not see, but that is real and and vital to our lives. And this includes more than, than heaven itself. It includes heaven, but it includes more than heaven. The heavenly places encompass the entire supernatural realm of God, His his complete domain, the full extent of His divine operation. It's the invisible realm where Christ is now ruling and reigning. And this is what Jesus was talking about when He said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. I mean, His kingdom is, is, is now unseen and spiritual. This kingdom now is of faith. But it's going to be made visible in the world to come when when Christ returns and and sets up his millennial kingdom. And so Christians have a dual citizenship. While we remain on earth, we're citizens of earth. But in Christ, our primary and infinitely more important citizenship is in heaven, in the heavenly places. I mean, Christ is our Lord and King, and we are citizens of his realm, the, the heavenlies. And this is why... Paul tells us in Colossians to seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Why would he say that? Because this is where our spiritual blessings are found. This is where our spiritual blessings are found. They're not found in the earthly realm where you can see and touch and feel. But our spiritual blessings are are found in in, in the spirit, in, in the heavenly realm. And our spiritual blessings, even though they're they're unseen, are are very real, more real, in fact, than the worldly blessings we can see. 
And these blessings and benefits Christ secured are available to us as his children here and now, though not fully. We won't fully realize them until we've been glorified and are in God's presence. And what a tremendous blessing. What a tremendous blessing and and should cause us to give praise and thanks to God is the fact that since our spiritual blessings are located in the heavenly realm, no one on earth can take them away. No one can take them away. As one commentator noted, this was the testimony of the early church father, Justin Martyr, during the times of Roman persecution. In his first apology, Justin challenged the Roman authorities to consider Christians fairly. One thing they should notice is the Christian testimony in the face of tyranny and injustice. Whereas, for as for us, he wrote, we reckon that no evil can be done us, and you can kill us, but not hurt us. And the joy and peace of the persecuted believers showed that their spiritual blessings were safe in the heavenly realm, far, far from the reach of wicked men. Justin Martyr continued, he said, And when you hear that we look for a kingdom, you suppose, without making any inquiry, that we speak of a human kingdom, whereas we speak of that which is with God. For if we looked for a human kingdom, we should also deny our Christ, that we might not be slain. And we should strive to escape detection that we might obtain what we expect. But since our thoughts are not fixed on the present, we are not concerned when men cut us off or when men kill us. And his point is simply that faith in Christ enables believers to face death far differently than unbelievers. Because we know that the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ are safe and secure in the heavenly places. And of course, this is why the Apostle Paul could say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. That's why when Paul realized uh, his death was imminent, he knew that he would be martyred very shortly, he could say to Timothy, the time of my departure has come. I mean, his attitude was one of joyful expectation. He, he continued, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I mean, what a difference it makes in life, and especially in death, to possess spiritual blessings from God in the heavenly places, whereas one man said, no tyrant can deny them, no thief can take them, and no corruption will mar them. So that means that in this life, if we suffer, you know, if we're hated and persecuted and even martyred in the final analysis, it'll be all right. Because we still possess every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And one commentator from days gone by summed it up wisely. This is what he said. Whatever happens to us, let us always assure ourselves that we have good cause to praise our God. And that even if we are poor and miserable in this world, the happiness of heaven is enough to appease us, to sweeten all our afflictions and sorrows 
hearts and to give us such contentment that we may nevertheless have our mouths open to bless God for showing himself so kind-hearted and liberal toward us as even to adopt us as his children and to show us that the heritage which has been purchased for us by the blood of his only Son is ready for us and that we cannot miss it, seeing that we go to it with true and invincible constancy of faith. You know, in chapter 1, down in verses 20 and uh, 22, Paul says that when God raised Jesus from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And he continued, he put all things under his, under Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. In other words, He's telling us Jesus Christ is is Lord of the unseen realm. And all the blessings that are ours in the heavenly places are under the control of Christ for the sake of all of his people. And so this immediately raises an all-important question, doesn't it? You know, how do you get these blessings for yourself? How do you get these blessings for yourself? Well, the answer uh, is obvious from all we've said, isn't it? If you want to be blessed in the heavenly realms with all the spiritual blessings God gives, you must be where? In Christ. You must be in Christ because by grace through faith, you've trusted in Christ alone for salvation. And if you are not in Christ, then the first thing that you must do is run to Him. Run to Him through faith and confess to Him your your sinfulness and your need of His mercy and grace and, and ask Him to save you. And as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you will then receive from Christ all the blessings of salvation beginning with forgiveness of sin and ending with an eternity in glory. Whereas John 3.36 tells us, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so the question this morning is, have you done this? You know, have you come to Christ for salvation? God has made Jesus the one way, the only way, by which man can be saved. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And now throughout the remainder of this passage, in verses 4 through 14, Paul tells us why God is so worthy to be praised by spelling out how he has blessed us. And what I'm going to do for the rest of our time together this morning is simply mention these blessings Paul lists with very little comment. And then next week, Lord willing, we're going to come back and begin to uh, dig into them more in depth because they're, they're rich, they're deep, they're profound. But not only that, they are so encouraging. So encouraging and, and so assuring. So here then is a list, of, a listing of, of the blessings in this passage. First of all, in verse 4, We're told that God chose us. Look at verse 4. 
even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And of course, this is dealing with the doctrine of election, which teaches that God chooses men to salvation. It addresses believers as those who are, according to Peter, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. On the other hand, the Bible never teaches that God chooses men to be lost. In fact, uh, the fact that he chooses some to be saved does not imply that he arbitrarily condemns all the rest. As one man said, he never condemns men who deserve to be saved. There are none. But he does save some who ought to be condemned. And Paul's tone as he deals with these subjects is not that of argument or rhetoric, but it's one of worship and praise. Why? Because we should worship and praise God for these things. Paul blesses God that his salvation, like that of the Ephesians and all who will ever believe, doesn't depend on human effort or present performance, but rather on the grace of God in eternity past. And so we should join in the praise. God shows us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And we'll look at uh, what that means next week. The second spiritual blessing from God's grace is predestination. Look at verse 5. In love, and in love at the end of verse 4 actually belongs with verse 5. In love, he predestined us. Predestined literally means to mark off in advance or marked out beforehand. That's what it means. It means to foreordain or to determine in advance and thus to predetermine. In the New Testament, it, always, it is always used of God determining from eternity. And the emphasis of predestination is more on the what than the who. In other words, this word as it is used in the Bible refers primarily to what God does for saved people. Nowhere in the Bible are we taught that God, or that God predestines anyone to hell. Because this word predestined refers only to God's people. The word simply means to ordain beforehand, to predetermine. Election seems to refer to people, while predestination refers to purposes. And so out of a heart of love, God predetermines something about believers. And what is that? Well, that's the third blessing. Look at verse 5. He predestined us to what? For adoption. Are you with me? He predestined us for what? Adoption. Adoption. Adoption has a dual meaning, both present and future. I mean, you don't get into God's family by adoption. You get into his family by being born again. And when you're born again, the spirit of adoption plants within the believer the instinct to address God as Father. In the New Testament, adoption means placing a believer in the family of God as a mature adult son with all of the privileges and responsibilities of sonship. So why does God do this? Well, so that we might immediately begin to claim our inheritance and enjoy our spiritual riches. God predetermined believers for, or predestined believers for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, and this was according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. So this is all according to the purpose of God's will. The fourth blessing is redemption. Look at verses 7 and 8. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The word redeems mean to purchase and, and set free by paying a price. And thus redemption means being delivered from the slavery of sin by the death of Christ, which Paul indicates by saying, in him, that is, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. And this is further defined by the forgiveness of sins, which is the immediate result of a believer's release from sin's power and dominion. So because Christ redeemed us, we're freed from the power of sin, the penalty of sin. And then one day, thank God, we're going to be delivered from the very presence of sin. So redemption means Jesus delivering us from this slavery to sin by his work on the cross. I mean, before we were held captive and and couldn't break free to do God's will. In fact, we we didn't even want to. But now we're free to serve God by Jesus' death. I mean, these are glorious blessings. But as glorious as these blessings are, there's still more. I mean, the blessings continue. There's a fifth blessing in verses 9 and 10. You know, God has revealed to us his purpose in history. And Paul tells us in verses 9 and 10 that God, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so here Paul speaks of God's great purpose in history, namely to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. I mean, Paul lived in a very broken, sinful, broken world, just like we do. But Paul knew the brokenness and disharmony of the world was not going to go on forever. Because he understood the same God who chose us and predestined us for adoption has also predestined all things to be brought together in submission to Christ. And this will be during the millennial kingdom when the times and God's purposes will be fulfilled and and all things, both spiritual and material, will be under Christ and his rule. And so this is God's goal, to set up Christ as head over all things, heavenly and earthly, in the kingdom. And the extent of the dominion of Christ is found in the words, the things in the heavens and the things on the earth. There's another blessing. The next blessing in verse 13 is the sealing by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be sealed? Well, a seal is a mark of authenticity, isn't it? Seals authenticate documents and declare that the promises contained in them are good. This sealing also implies ownership. God has put his seal on us because he has purchased us to be his own. We belong to him. It also means security and protection, that we are secure in Christ. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for Christians. And so when Paul says, when you heard the truth and believed in him, you were sealed, the promised Holy Spirit, he's saying that God's gift of the Holy Spirit is an authentication that believers are truly God's and that none of the promises God has made to them will fail. And he will surely guide them safely all the way home. That's amazing. 
That's something to be excited about. It's something to praise God about, which is Paul's whole point in this passage. The next blessing, and the last one mentioned, is in verse 14. And that is that we are guaranteed an inheritance. Paul says in verse 14, the Holy Spirit is one who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit who seals is a, is a deposit, so to speak, guaranteeing our inheritance. And this deposit is more than a pledge which can be returned. No, it's a a down payment with a guarantee of more to come. It absolutely guarantees believers' inheritance of salvation and heaven. And so you could say the Holy Spirit is God's first installment to guarantee to His children that He will finish His work and eventually bring them to glory. That's why Paul could say the work that he began in each one of us, he will bring to completion the day of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul could say, I know or I am convinced uh, that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day, right? Or until that day. The Holy Spirit is the first installment to guarantee that God's children uh, will be brought to glory. He'll finish his work in us and bring us safely home to glory. And that's, that is a glorious truth. Because we all know how weak and frail and sinful we are. We all know how true uh, is the saying that the, uh, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak to resist temptation because it's drawn to all the things of the world. And we fail, and we fail often. So what a comfort it is to know that the Holy Spirit who is God has been given to us as a down payment on the fullness of the inheritance which is already ours in Christ Jesus. And God is going to see to it that he brings us safely home. It's not dependent upon our performance, and that's not an excuse to live in sin. You know, God forbid. But it's the fact that it's God's grace that's going to bring us home. So these are the spiritual blessings that Paul lists as reasons to bless God. That is, for us to burst forth in, in praise and adoration and thanksgiving for all that God is and for all that God has done and continues to do. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is such an an encouraging verse. And remember Paul, when he wrote this, was a prisoner. And every time he moved, he could hear and feel the heavy chains clinking around his wrist and ankle. And so he could have been depressed and and complained about his circumstances. He could have said, yeah, spiritual blessings are great, but I don't need spiritual blessings right now. What I need is to get out of these chains and, and have my physical needs met. But instead, he burst out in praise and worship. 
He's praising God and and thanking Him for, for blessing Him in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because He knew that no matter what they did to Him, no matter what happened to his physical body, nothing could touch the, the spiritual blessings and, and riches that are his in Christ, that are reserved in heaven for him. In understanding these blessings not only sustained Paul during his imprisonment, but throughout his Christian life and ministry, they gave him the hope that, that he exudes in all of his letters. And these same spiritual blessings can sustain you and I in, in whatever difficulties we face. As one man said, there is no more true test of our Christian profession than to discover how prominent this note of praise and thanksgiving is in our life. And so, to what extent do you find praise, adoration, thankfulness, and joy in God welling up to the surface in your daily life? I'm not talking about, you know, glibly walking around saying praise the Lord all the time. I'm talking about sincere, heartfelt joy and satisfaction in Christ that floods into your soul. It shouldn't be a rare experience. And so if it's not as often as it should be, which I think, beginning with myself, we would all have to admit it's not as often as it should be, and spend time meditating on the Scriptures. Spend time in passages like Ephesians 1 or Romans chapter 8 which speak about the spiritual riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. Or meditate on the Psalms, which which are just filled with praises of God in in the midst of life's difficult trials. You know, trials will either make us bitter or better, right? They'll either make us bitter or better. So loved ones, let's allow our trials to drive us to a deeper experience of the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ for our souls. We need to make it our lifelong quest to count all things lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And being blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places Bless God. Being blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, then bless the great God who has so blessed you. He is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. He is deserving, whereas we're not deserving of the least of His blessings. But as his children, he has lavished blessings upon us. I mean, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, right? He has lavished upon us spiritual riches, the spiritual riches of his grace, which which are in Christ Jesus. 
And so being blessed in Christ with all of these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, we should be about blessing the great God who has blessed us this way. No matter what's going on in our lives. No matter how difficult it is. That's why Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so while he was meditating on God's grace, Paul just bursts out with praise to God. And here in this passage, he's not merely saying that God is worthy of our praise. Rather, he is actually praising God for all of the spiritual blessings of his glorious salvation. And in doing so, he is inviting his readers and he is inviting you and I to do the same. And this passage is a great example for us. And we should often contemplate the wonders of God's grace and and His amazing plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. I mean, we have a great salvation because we have a great and a glorious God. And so as we contemplate the many blessings that we have in Christ, we should respond with, with appropriate praise to Him for our loving and gracious Heavenly Father. Amen. Let's stand and pray. It's your love that makes me see. It's your word that comforts me by your blood. Set free, and Lord, give to us a passion for your word that we may grow and walk in all your ways. On behalf of Pastor Jim Jarrett and everyone at Calvary Chapel, Reading, Palisadro, we hope and pray this study you just heard will help you grow in the word. If you have any remaining questions or comments, please call us at 530. 530- 547-4400. That's 530-547-4400. Or write to us at P.O. Box 837, Palisadro, California, 96073. You can also email us through the website at ccredding.com. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you. Grow.